0: Hey, this is Scott Feicher with the Tech After Five podcast. I'm welcoming you to a special edition of the Tech After Five podcast where we are celebrating Tech After Five event 600. And I am joined on this special podcast by my friend and the host of the podcast, Phil Yanoff. Phil, welcome.
1: Wow. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. I mean, I didn't even know this is what we were doing. What a surprise. It's like a surprise podcast recording.
0: It's a surprise podcast, and I call this the definitive history of Tech After Five.
1: Good grief. I hope this doesn't mean we're going to need fact checkers when we're done, but
0: yeah, I get it. Well, I'll fact check you and you fact check me. How about that?
1: That's it. That's it. I just want to tell the audience we're doing no better than that.
0: (laughs) So, Phil, we're about to celebrate Tech After Five 600 at the time we're recording this. Hopefully, we will have this out just in time for the event to kick off, where we're doing a virtual all-cities celebration of the 600th event, and for that, I thought we would do a special podcast, and I wanted to talk to you about how you got started and how Tech After Five got started and where it's gone, so... This will, there'll be some new stuff in here for people that were there at Tech After Five One, and there'll be a lot of new stuff in there for people who are at Tech After Five 600 for the first time.
1: Yeah, no, well, um, I'm, I don't exactly know where this goes. And it's kind of exciting for me because it's kind of what I do and what I've done with all the stuff, right? How we, the events that led to this, the things that I did before is like, okay, Put Phil in the hot seat and let's see what comes out of his mouth. If you record it, there might actually be some good stuff that I can use later. So I'm in
0: and I trust you. All right. Well, let's do this thing. Okay. Now, Phil, a lot of people around here know you as the premier connectorati of Greenville or even of the Southeast. But what people don't know about you or a lot of people maybe don't know about you is that you're originally from Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about me, right? So I did grow up on a small farm in the middle of nowhere, where my um, mother, soon to be 90 years old, still lives on that farm. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I grew up a kid in rural America. Um, And so, you know, for me, the whole computer thing seemed like a natural start. I mean, it was uh, uh, it was just something that I could do without a whole bunch of other people being involved. Right. We didn't have social media. Heck, I didn't have cable TV um, you know, in, in fact, my mother still does not have cable TV. She lives in such a remote location, it is not available to her. So, um, yeah, so that playing around with computers made sense to me. And I was just really intrigued by the idea that uh, if I could write some lines of code on a computer, it would do whatever I asked it to do.
0: That probably was uh, not one of your newer computers, right? What was your first computer, Phil?
1: This... It's going to be so terrible to tell this tale because um, in the beginning, Scott, I loved the idea of programming and being on computers so much that I didn't even have a computer. I went to this little session at uh, California State College, which I think is now California State University in Pennsylvania. So it's in California, Pennsylvania. And uh, I went to this uh exercise one time where they were trying to teach kids about what computers did and how they worked. And they actually gave you a paper computer. So basically you had all the registers and you had a little piece of paper, a bug that you moved down that was the program counter. So you would write code and then you would actually perform the functions of the computer. So I really believe that my very first computer was more along like Babbage's analytical engine, than anything else, it was just a piece of paper, and you could write things and write little programs and watch them loop while you did that. And that was kind of cool. But my first real computer, and people are really going to laugh at this because I don't think it was a real computer, was a TI 994A. And so, Texas Instruments had gotten into the personal computer business, and they decided that uh, they were going to have you know, they did this for a short while, and I thought it was the superior technology. So instead of buying a Commodore or an Atari or, something, or an Apple or something like that, I thought the TI was the way to go. And uh, I think, by the way, that whole computer, even then the computer, the monitor, and the, I believe it, I know it had, a, it had cartridges, but it had a cassette tape, is how you put your own programs in it. I think that whole thing cost a thousand bucks even then. And that would have been 1983
0: or four. That was big money back then.
1: It was big money. I promise
0: you. Big money. I was a Commodore 64 guy myself.
1: It was probably the smarter move because there were tons of games for the 64. It was, you know, it was funny. You know, you didn't think about it then, or I didn't, certainly. I was thinking about what was the technology that I thought was the smartest. And so, you know, the TI was 16-bit. It was the first one. It was 16-bit, even though the back end was 8-bit, but the front end of this thing was 16-bit. But what I didn't think about then, which is really my whole life now is it's the community around it that matters even more than just the thing. So the thing that made the Commodore really great uh, or even the Atari or the Amiga in a different stretch, right? Was there was this incredible community of people around it that were investing in the platform and writing code and you could go back and forth with them. You know, even Apple II is the same way. Uh, I didn't see that then because, again, I I wasn't committed. I didn't understand the value of community then. I just thought it was technology. Now I know better.
0: Well, luckily for us, you made your way to Greenville, South Carolina. Otherwise, Pennsylvania would be the home of Tech After Five. Uh, you made your way to Greenville, South Carolina to come to college, right?
1: Yes, that is true. So I came uh, I came down here. I went to uh, Bob Jones University, which for those of you who don't know me well, that's going to be a complete and utter surprise. Um, uh, you know, that was just the, that's what brought me to Greenville and then a whole bunch of life events. I mean, and I did computer science there. They didn't even have a computer science major. It was a minor there. And I started with different majors. And I think I ended up in business management was my final major. But, you know, I... Uh, you know, but the thing is, I did all of this other stuff just so I could have access to the computer. So I took every computer science class, you know, uh, whereas I might be doing sort of middling grades and everything else. I was awesome at computer science. I loved programming, even though at that time, you know, we were programming in Fort, uh, Fortran and COBOL um, and some machine language, IBM, JCL, 370, that kind of stuff, Um but you know the, but I I loved even COBOL programming. I thought it was fun what we could do and the big things that we could make.
0: So Ab, before you launched into this uh, connecting people business that you're in now, you did work in tech. You're a legitimate techie, right?
1: yeah you know I didn't uh, I certainly did not start with the idea that I wanted to be around people. I started with the idea that I loved computers and I loved what we could do with them right so I would uh, I would play around inside computers and do all kinds of stuff and then of course, I went out and started a little company of my own. I went to work for another guy for a little while did some uh, system 34 36 38 programming um, and I'd really hated that. But I loved PC programming, so I kind of pivoted my way into that. I left that guy, went off and did a thing on my own for a while. Then I sold that business. And then uh, when I sold that business, I went to work for another company um, that was uh, Mid-South Data Systems, which became Kairos Corporation. And at that time, we were the world's largest reseller of IBM point of sale. So we sold computers, cash registers, and networks to very large grocery store chains. And, you know, I had a variety of titles there, but I I think I ended up somewhere as CIO or what time we, you know, when it was cool, we called it the e-business executive, you know, titles were very flexible in that space. But, you know, my idea or my role at that time was to keep all of our internal systems working in a company that had, I think at that time, five campuses uh, or uh, we grew it into five campuses, you know, brought a bunch of groups together. So my thing was just how do we build systems that pull everybody together?
0: And that's kind of the, the thinking you were starting to have at that point was bringing people together, building tribes. I met you around that time frame. And sometime in there, you left your tech job and started a sort of a PR uh, type company called ThinkHammer. And uh, I think you actually did the logo and the letterhead for one of my first companies. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I think I was doing that as a side thing at the time. I can't remember where that, where that fit into my whole timeline, but, you know, I love doing PR and building, you know, kind of helping brands find their way. And I, you know, I've never been much of a graphic designer, but I had people that helped me with the graphic design, but I was, you know, I've always been very committed to helping people figure out how to communicate what they did. Cause I know that if you can get that right, uh, you can attract a whole lot more people to. You know, if, you, if people walk away from you confused about what you do or how you do it or how you can help them, you know, you just missed an opportunity. There might've been someone you could help, whether it was them or one of their friends. So I like to help people get their messages clear. And that's kind of how I got started and how, you know, you and I started doing stuff together was, you know, let's figure out how to help people get their brand
0: communicated in a busy marketplace. That's right. And then you kind of had an epiphany, I think, one day and you put together sort of your tech side and your business side and your helping people side. And you came to me and you pitched this idea for a nonprofit, the Greenville Spartanburg Anderson Technology Council. Tell us how that came about. I don't know if people know, but this is the this is the entity that leads to Tech After Five.
1: Right. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, in all this time, right, so I would go out and I would help. I mean, I w- didn't have the idea of starting a group, I would go help somebody else who was running a group. And I'd help, uh, you know, I worked with a PC users group for a long time. So I, I think, you know, over 15 years, I might have been president of that seven different times over that 15 years times frame. Um, but I liked doing that and that was fun. And then I thought, well, I would like to do something professionally. So I went and helped another guy work on his group for a while. And then we basically, he and I got a divorce. He wanted to go see it do one thing and I wanted to go see it do something else. And it just, we just decided to go part ways. And then after we parted ways, I said, Well, I wanted to help people uh, get connected professionally with technology, right? If you're an IT person, we needed to have a local professional organization for people to get together. And my goal more than anything was just to bring those folks together because they weren't natural networkers. They didn't naturally talk to one another. There was no other good forum for that. So let's bring them together in a room and talk. And so we ran a bunch of experiments in the beginning. And you know, we did afternoon meetings and then we did lunch meetings and we'd go back and forth and we did that for about a year. Uh, but then we discovered that uh, having just one core meeting all the time was the thing that worked for us. And so then for a number of years, we just ran these lunch meetings and we, we moved them around over time because we did it for a long time. But the idea was let's put a hundred people in the room and let's have them have lunch together and spend 20 minutes training them and let them talk to each other at the tables and kind of figure out what's going on. And I know when I say train, you know, it's exposing them to new information. I mean, we're not, I'm not trying to ram some new technology. I'm trying to expose you to something. I always thought of, you know, kind of like NPR's model as a way that was useful to me, which is they they would say back in those days, let's educate and inspire. And that's what I thought. I said, look, I think we can be doing great stuff. Let's teach you a little bit of something, but let's inspire you to do whatever, you know, can be done.
0: And these were the famous GSATC learning lunches. Yeah, yeah, we did this. Many, many, many of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and we did we did that for a long time. And I wish I could tell you right off the top of my head how many years that was, but 10, 12 years maybe? It was a bunch. Yeah, we did a bunch of those. And uh, so we would do, we would just pop these lunches and we would do them again and again. Well, you know, I can tell you, I know that we we did those uh twelve years or thirteen years as well, right? So we did that a good long time. You know, the thing is that in the middle of all of this, and of course where the net natural pivot is, in the midst of all of this, right, we got together and someone said you really need to be doing a networking event. And so they said they wanted to do it after-hours event. But here's the thing. I mean, even at this time, I was thinking it was more about the technology, more about having a high-information diet. Let's give you good stuff to learn. I really didn't think wandering around and talking to people was the way we moved the ball forward. I just wasn't sophisticated enough yet to understand the power of community. You know, I built a thing that was a training platform, I thought. But what it really was, was a community. And they loved it for a reason that I didn't even realize at the beginning.
0: Yeah, the learning lunch was sort of the dog. Uh, Tech After Five was the tail that you added later. Um, one of the things I loved about the learning lunches is you, you it wasn't just you had a speaker and the speaker had a topic, but you also talked to the audience. You do, you do such a great job being a, a host. And you talk to the audience and you would bring people up and ask them what they were looking for. You were already trying to help people find jobs, help people connect. You were doing it. Um, you would tell the tables to talk. My favorite thing you used to do was you would say, if anybody in the room is new, raise your hand. And they would raise their hand and then you would say, and stand up.
1: (laughs) Now stand up. Now stand up. And it was great because, you know, the thing is, raising your hand is just like a tiny commitment. That's not a thing. I don't care. But then when I made them stand up, you could see genuine fear in their faces. What? comes next. And the thing is, you know, we're super nice to them. I'm that guy, right? But I am going to put them on the spot just a little bit to introduce themselves. Yeah. And uh, that was always kind of fun. I mean, we were, again, like you point out, we were building community in a way that uh, people didn't realize. I didn't realize. I could. I didn't appreciate fully.
0: So what year did you launch this Tech After Now, am I right that originally, tech after five would be the same night that the GSATC learning lunch was during the day? You'd go to the learning lunch and then you'd go to tech after five that evening? Or is that not, was it not always like that?
1: No, we did that later. Um, You know, I'm going to tell you, and the reason for that was, Scott, in the beginning, you know, I would come out of the lunch and I would have left it all on the field. I mean, I just thought, oh my God, we, we did such a big thing today. I just like, poof. And then I would like, come home and take a nap or something like that. Right. I mean, I was just like, wow, I left on the field, but, uh, then we, you know, I decided later to kind of put them together right into a thing. But the, you know, the, the, point was at the, at the beginning, right. Tech after five was just the GSATC thing. You know, like you said, it was the dog in the tail. GSATC was the dog and tech after five was just the tail wagging along a little add-on thing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the t- for example, I don't have pictures from the first event, but I do have from the second, and I know that for at least three months at the beginning, the name badges that we printed, which was core to what we did, did not say Tech after five. They said GSATC on them. I mean, they still had the daytime logo
0: yeah it was it was a GSATC event, right? right Yeah, yeah it was
1: Tech right. after Five by GSATC, and that's how we did it at the beginning
0: now those those first those were up, were those upstairs at Barley's taproom
1: Yes. Right. And of course, you know, those guys better than me. But, uh, you know, we uh, that was just such a cool space. And uh, I loved that. And we were there really. I mean, the thing is, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't sure this was going to work in the beginning. I mean, the crowds were fine. I mean, again, I have pictures from, you know, the second event, right? We had a nice crowd. There was a good number of people there, but I wasn't sure, you know, I was still trying to find my legs and make sure this thing was a thing that was going to work. And I was super uncertain about it. I mean, how would people come do this? Um, And uh, I wasn't wasn't quite sure about it. We kept tumbling around at it, but then you know that it got to the point that that room, because it had hardwood floors and a flat metal ceiling, right? And brick walls, it would be deafening. You would go up the stairs to Barley's Tap Room. And as you walked up the stairs, it was just, it was, I'm not exaggerating. It was a roar when you went into that room. You went from the quiet of the street in Greenville into the roar that was that room.
0: Yeah. Like a lot of uh, old army vets, I don't do well in circumstances like that hearing. So after a while, I knew going to tech after five was Drink a beer, drink a beer, smile and nod.
1: <laughs> yeah, super hard to talk. I mean, and the thing is, again, communication, talking, building network, that was part of what we were there about, but it got really hard because you just couldn't hear each other.
0: Now, I think I'm also correct with this. The free beer was not an original idea. It came after Tech After Five One. Is that right? Or did you launch with the free beer?
1: No, we launched with the idea of free beer and oh my gosh, now I can't remember this woman's name and I feel bad because she was one of the people that originally came to me. You know, it was a uh, uh, Bradley Smith was one of the guys that said, you need to do a networking event and I didn't believe him. And then there's another woman, I want to say her name is Tracy. And I think that she now works for Christchurch, but she had come to me and said, Hey, I, I just moved here from another part of the country and we were doing an event and we said that with a business card and something you you could get a free beer and then so i got this group together and said well i'm not completely convinced this i think it needs something else to make it magic when i when i myself was satisfied then we said okay i'll do this and that was the way it was but you you had to give us a couple of things you had to be a tech person you had to give us a business card and we would give you in the beginning it was a paper ticket and we would give you a paper ticket in order to um have a beer but we there was a free beer and that was um that One of the components, by the way, that made me feel like this is work, is I just read um, at some point along this, I read Chris Anderson's book, Free, and he talked about the power of free and how you use that to manipulate crowds. And I thought, OK, if I can set this barrier just like this, then I can I can do something else here.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to you about that book back at the time and the idea of free. And I do remember having to turn in a business card to get your beer, Um Interesting stuff. And already back then, though, I think sort of the secret sauce that makes Tech After Five so wonderful, uh, you were already curating the crowd. You weren't trying to recreate other network events where it's all service providers and no service. I mean, it's all service providers trying to sell to each other and no actual customers in the room. You've been have been diligent since the beginning. And I think it's because it grew out of this tech community, the GSATC, that you were able to successfully curate that room and make sure that it is mostly tech people in the room.
1: Yeah, that's, our lead, right? That's the thing we're trying to get done. So we are always manipulating the room and manipulating signups in such a way that makes sure that we have a good, solid core of the people we are there primarily to help. Now we know that having, you know, attorneys and accountants and so forth can be helpful, but it can't be all attorneys and accountants and no tech people to help, right? And we've all been to networking events. I mean, I just was out on a Zoom call last Monday, where you know they had just poorly curated the room and it was all service providers there was one potential client for somebody and 13 people who were trying to sell something and i was like well, i mean these are all interesting and wonderful people but you know we are you know this is these are coyotes fighting over a scrap of meat i mean there's just nothing to be done there That's so awesome. you know you get, for our bit we need more fish than sharks
0: sure i remember as a young lawyer, my boss told me I needed to start networking. And I went to a networking event uh, that he suggested at the commerce club, I think. And um, I got there and it was a bar meeting.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. All all attorneys, all lawyers, all attorneys whose boss had told them you need to go out and network to build business (laughs) and uh, did not send them into a room where there was a
0: bunch of people they could help. (laughs) That's exactly right. So so you moved on from Barley's. Where'd you go next?
1: where did we go from Barley's? We went, um, did we go up the street first? So we went, we followed. um, Yeah, we followed uh, Jay Maccabee to two places. And I think that's how that went. So we went up the street to a place that's, um, it's still there. It is now uh, Irish. It's an Irish place in front and it's, it was called poor in the back room, but then they changed sure. it to something else. But wow. anyway, so we went there first. It was a place, if you have been a long time Greenvillian, right, you will remember that place as having been Fuddruckers on Main Street. It's right across the street from the Hyatt, right? I mean, if you walk out the door, you are looking at the like Hyatt. It's
0: an Irish bar at the front. And then in the back, it's sort of a big open, almost like a discotheque type room.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's that way anymore, but it was then, right? So when we went in, of course, and I was trying to avoid the name only because there's going to be some confusion. At that time, I believe it was called Poor Taproom. No, I'm sorry, it was called Poor Lounge. Poor the Lounge. one down, the one next to Gringo's is Poor Tap Room. This one was called Poor Lounge. And there was an Irish bar up front and Jay was there and he was working there and so we went in there and that we had that was a neat experience it was basically a very long lounge which you know it is a long lounge it feels like a shotgun bar short bar in the front big TVs lots of disco stuff were all wrapped around it and then just lots of space going back
0: yeah when did you come up with the idea that you would expand to other cities? How did that happen? How does tech after five leave Greenville and go? I think you went to Columbia first, maybe.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I always like to think about the folks that helped me kind of get this started, you know, in addition to you, helped me with the GSHC as we were doing this. And it was uh, Bradley Smith and Tracy, whose last name I've forgotten. And um, of course, Casey Raley and all had helped me get all this stuff beginning in oh. the beginning. And I always love all that stuff. Love, love all of them for helping me. That. And, and of course, uh Paul Waters. Paul Waters, um, yeah. So it, th- those were the sort of the really solid beginning core that kind of helped me through. And then um, Jim Stritzinger came to me when we were still in Barley's tap room. And I can remember him standing there saying, um, this is great. We need this in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to go to Columbia. Uh, I, it, so I really had never... I had never thought of making this something bigger than the one city experience at the beginning, but Jim came in. He had taken on a role with a data center down in Columbia, and he was looking to have some regular networking event that was professionally oriented down there. He said there was nothing, and uh, and so Jim said he wanted it down there, and I was super resistant Um, because I thought it's 100 miles, it's Columbia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, it just seemed like a lot of work, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen about it. So I said, you know, to Jim, I said, Jim, we're going to need sponsors to pull this off, and it's going to cost something. And I thought, I'm just going to set this number up high enough that everyone, I'm sure they're all committed, right? That's the bit. Is everybody everybody committed to making this? And so I set a number, which I thought was really hard. And Jim just looked at me and said, done. And uh, (laughs) poof. Uh, we were in Columbia in six weeks. I, you know, we'd set the event up. We'd found a look, a venue for it. And I think we had 123 people at the first event. It was somewhere right around in that space. It would, and it, it, I remember the reason I remember this so vividly um, is that I remember people walking in and saying, you know, there's another group that's been doing this for like four years and they have 12 people show up what are you doing differently? And I said, I don't know. I really did not know. Uh, But I think, you know, the thing is, we've always really cared about the audience. We've really said, I'm trying to help. Let's make this useful to you. If you need to meet people, let's make this as easy as possible.
0: I think that's it. You've always approached this from a position of how can I help people, not how can I run an event or make money or whatever? I mean, that's, it's just, uh, and I think that caring, that drive to help people comes through, and it's what makes Tech After Five so successful. You went to Columbia, then, then you kind of, from there, you kind of had this multi-city idea in place, right? You went to Charleston, you went to, Tim Martin convinced you to go to Charlotte when you didn't want to go. So all of that's true, but let me
1: tell you, there were, you know, if you're thinking about a valence electron making the jump, those were jumps. So- we uh, went to Columbia, and then it occurred to me to go make the Charleston jump, right? And I, and the reason was, and I can always remember you know, my exemplar in the entrepreneurial space, Karen St. John, who was at Clemson back then. She was saying, you know, someone needs to put together somebody that covers Greenville, Columbia, and Charleston all at once. Someone needs to do that. And I always thought it was going to be somebody else. But once I made the jump to Columbia and I thought, oh, my gosh, this can work. I said, I will go do Charleston. So I went down to Charleston and I reached out to the community inside of Charleston and said, look, I know you guys are big. I know you're sophisticated. you got lots of cool stuff going on. Um, but I want to do this, and I would like to do it with you. I would like us to work together, not us to work apart from each other. So I'm not in your space. I'm not trying to eat at your trough. I'm just trying to help you do what you do, and I would love it if you could help me. And they just accepted me. It was just, it just popped. So we went down, and we began the uh, Charleston experiment, and we've done Charleston ever since. Now, I told all that because you said, oh, well, then you went multi-city, and then you went to Charlotte. That is not how that happened. Exactly. Because I had in mind that I'd strung South Carolina together, the core element of South Carolina. My work was done, (laughs) except along came Tim Martin. And Tim Martin, Pam Wessel, introduced me, the blessed Saint Pam Wessel. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful person, introduced me to Tim Martin. And Tim is also a wonderful person. And Tim said, we need this in Charlotte, North Carolina. And honest to God, I thought he was kidding me. (laughs) I thought, they have to be doing this exactly we're doing. And he said, nobody has got the vibe you've got. Nobody's doing it the way you're doing it. I think this is a unique voice. And I think we can be successful in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: Yeah, Tim tells me uh, two things about that. He says, A, I was tired of driving to Greenville every month. (laughs) I believe that.
1: Yeah, and, I believe that,
0: and he believed it could work in uh, in Charlotte. He said, "You said that uh, you said Charlotte has everything." And he yes.
1: said, "Yes, I said I said they had two of everything. Two I said Charlotte
0: definitely. has two of everything.
1: They don't need me." And he said, "No, that's just not the case." And so um, we uh, we did the um, you know we we started going up into Charlotte, and we've been there ever since, and it's been a really successful event. I mean, there are months. Um you know we're we're of course we're now in virtual and post covid and all that right, mm-hmm. but there have been months running live events that the Charlotte event would be within five people in terms of attendance of the Greenville event. I mean, they would be right there neck and neck,
0: and there Tim really takes on the host role uh and kind of has since the beginning
1: yeah, that was uh that was wonderful in a number of ways. it taught me that I don't need to be top front center of each one. I mean, you know, there've always been people who said, hey, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, love what you're doing. I'm afraid it's personality driven that it couldn't work without you. Um, the neat thing is I can do what I do from the back end and I can let Tim, who is a wonderful host, go do the Charlotte event. And when he does it, you know, I, I have no concerns about how that gets executed. And that taught me at that time that if you have the right person, you can do some really amazing stuff and nobody is more committed to the Charlotte tech community than Tim Martin. You know, he loves those people and it's super clear that he does.
0: Yeah, like you, his dedication to wanting to help people is what shines through. You can really tell that that's what's in his heart. And I think that's what makes it work. I don't think that you have the courage to expand to Little Rock, uh, a city where you've never physically been to one of these events, if it hadn't been for your experience with Tim running Charlotte.
1: You are absolutely correct. It was such a learning experience. And so I had two of these that I had some concerns about, right? I mean, and so there's Little Rock, and then there was Bangalore, right? And, uh, you know, the folks in Bangalore who wanted to do this, you know, they courted me for a year. And I just kept saying, no, I just don't, just don't see that, don't know how we could do that. And, you uh, you know, then they launched, and of course, it was immediately successful. It was it was more successful than they knew what to do with, quite frankly, in terms of number of people. And you know, now we're in COVID, so that all kind of just evaporate. I mean, they're they're worried and all that kind of as well. Yeah. But Little Rock, Arkansas. So uh, in that case, you know, again, you had a team of really talented people. They were standing up an organization, brand new, that was there to help uh, data sciences in uh, Arkansas, and. They wanted to run a live event. They weren't, or they wanted to run a live event like this, a networking event like this. And you know, we they had a connection out of uh, Columbia, South Carolina, which was Lonnie Emmerd, and Lonnie had said to them, you know, you'd be crazy to go do this on your own. You need Phil because he knows how to do this. So we gave them. You know, we started with the complete structure. They became our first licensee, and so that's really a licensed event where they're off running that. So now I, I think, Scott, we know how to do this. So the thing is, we did it. We figured out how to do it live. I think that, that I mean, I know that went really well. They had a great success with it. We made the pivot. You know, they they went in March, just like everybody else. They snapped this thing over and we went to virtual. And they are, you know, perhaps, I mean, other than Greenville, I'm, other than Greenville, they're our most successful virtual event, right? They consistently have a good crowd of folks there. People come and they get connected and they love it. And their responses to what we're doing are really good.
0: It's a great group of guys out there at the Arkansas Center for Data Sciences. And I know you and I are both looking forward to going and attending a live event when live events uh, become a thing again. Yeah. But um, what so what's your vision for Tech After Five? Where do we go post Tech After Five 600?
1: Yeah, so here we are coming up on our 600th event, and this is really great. Now, I'm not like a big party dude. I mean, I just I just love what we're doing, and that's cool. So I think we're going to have some fun with what we're doing here at the 600th event. But, you know, then it's us going forward. So I have two things we've got to do. Uh, one, you know, how do we continue building Tech After Five, the events, the way they are now? And then what do we build that absolutely survives post-lockdown? So those are the things we're working on right now, right? So that's a and you know, we've got a, a a number of events which we think are rather than being forced to be virtual because they're on lockdown, there are things we couldn't have done otherwise. And I think if you come to see us at Tech After Five number six hundred, you're gonna get a taste of what there is to come. We're gonna we'll change we're gonna change the ticketing model, we're gonna change the style of the event. It's there is gonna it's you know, we're never We are never going to be a crappy webinar, but there is going to be content that you can engage with, right? So you're gonna learn something and you're gonna meet some people inside of a space in a way that nobody else is doing. I mean, if they are, I don't know about it. And the thing is, we're willing to do it, not willing. We are ready, willing, and able to do it with you, our tech audience, because we wanna help you both learn and get connected. And it might now be that the connections are global. Right. Rather than just being, oh, I got to meet a guy from a company down the street. Um, now we have a, I I think Zoom has provided a new type of propinquity. Right. This is it's a new way for us to bump into people we might never have bumped into before and establish meaningful relationships. Right. I mean, I myself am in the spot where I'm doing events where. Most of the people in the room, when I'm sitting there talking to them, they're all New York Times bestselling authors, plus me. Right? That was a thing that I could never have figured out how to manage pre-COVID. But now that we're all getting good at Zoom, let's go ahead and use video conferencing in general, Zoom in particular, just for the moment, who knows. But the idea is let's go ahead and make some connections to some really interesting people we could never have met otherwise.
0: Some of these old ideas from the GSATC learning lunches working their way back into Tech After Five through Zoom, which we would not have been able to do very well in a live event. We always wanted to keep the live events moving and not a lot of people put on these seminars, these networking events, and then they put a speaker in it shuts everything down. It doesn't work very well. But on Zoom, it works great. So I'm excited about that, about the future of these uh, online events that are going to continue post-COVID. And for the uh, resurrection of the city-by-city in-person events, are you planning on expanding to more cities?
1: Well, the thing is, I think, so right now we have three different groups, and I think that one or two of these might actually go, um, people who would like to do Tech After Five in other cities. Let me tell you, at this moment, if you, and I want to figure out how to make the barriers as low as possible for you to go and get these things started, but- I think right now while we're in lockdown is the right time to start and build your tribe so that when we go post lockdown, then you can go find a venue and you can figure out how to buy the beer and all that. But today all you need to do is find the people and we will help you run the event from the back end. Right? So we, you know, we, there are things we want to do, like we're going to manage how they get mailed and all that kind of stuff. That's the way we're going to do that. There's a little bit of licensing involved in all that. But it, it's the idea of we're going to run the back end of this thing so that you can go out there and be the host of that event. But right now, we're ready to help you build your next event. And I think this is we're ready to go anywhere. You know, I'm every day talking to people on other continents. About what's going on in the world. I think we could do this right now for anybody in the US. I mean, the only thing, my only limitation in this moment right now is that I only fluently speak English. So, you know, we're ready. If you can speak English, I am ready to help you. If it's something else, we might have to work a little bit harder, but I'm open to that too.
0: Yeah, we need people that uh, are connected to their local tech community and who have a heart for wanting to help people and help the tech community get better and connect with each other. That's really what it's all about, right? Right. You know, and I tell anybody who wants to do this first, you
1: have to be, you have
0: to, you have to
1: be or find that champion who will not let go. Someone who's willing to commit to doing this for, you know, at least a year, but hopefully multiple years of getting this done. Right. And uh, you have to be able, someone who can uh, create community support. So are there a couple of organizations around you that will do it? And, you know, do you have a, do you already have a some folks that you've started with that we can use as the seed? You know, an email list we can use as the seed from which to build this. But I think, you know, it could be launching. I really do believe that if you said today, I'm ready, Phil, let's do this, that, you know, in two weeks we could have your first event.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to the uh, 600 event uh, tomorrow night as we're recording this Uh By the time you're listening to this, it may be in the past, but I'm also very much looking forward to the future of Tech After Five, both online and in person. Thank you, Phil, for taking some time with me today to explore the definitive history of Tech After Five. And uh, if people want to talk to you, how do they get in touch with you?
1: How do they find me? Well, they, most easily is at 5.com But if you know my name, which is Phil Yenov, you can go to philyenov.com, which by the way, also takes you to 5.com but like on a deep page there. So absolutely pretty easy for you to go do that.
0: Great. I'm Scott Pfeiffer. I'm with Strategy Business Consulting. You can find me on LinkedIn where I'm Scott Pfeiffer or email me at strategybusinessconsulting at gmail.com or you can hook up with me most months at Five. Phil, thanks a lot. Audience, we'll talk to you later.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, just because I can, I'm going to get the last word. Let me tell you, Tech After Five wouldn't be what it is without the wise counsel of my friends and especially Scott Piper. So thank you for all that you have done to help me clarify my thinking as we've been through this multi-year journey together. I can't see. I can't wait to see what we do next. Thank you.